Volume Two, Chapter One of Willard's Weird by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter One. Leonie's Mission. The report of the interrogatory before the juge d'instruction was followed by a page of notes written by the police officer Drubard. The child Leonie Lamarque was not again in a condition to give her evidence. A violent attack of brain fever succeeded her second appearance before the juge d'instruction, and on her recovery from the fever it was found that her mind had suffered seriously from the shock she had undergone. Memory was a blank. The juge d'instruction visited her in her own home when she was convalescent and tried to recall the impressions made upon her at the time of the murder in the hope of identifying the murderer but she had forgotten the whole circumstances of her aunt's death and yet she suffered agonies from a vague terror associated in her enfeebled mind with the very name of that aunt as soon as she was well enough to travel she was taken to the ursuline convent at dinan by a good priest who had befriended her grandmother for many years after this transference to the convent the police lost sight of the child lamarque throughout the evening even amidst the distractions of a finely acted comedy by augier and in the wakeful intervals of a somewhat disturbed night edward heathcote brooded over the details of the evidence which he had read not once but several times before he closed the volume of reports the detective instinct which is a characteristic of every well-trained lawyer's mind had been suddenly developed into almost a passion he no longer limited his desire to the unravelling of the web of leonie lamarque's fate he ardently longed to discover the mystery of marie prevol's murder to succeed where one of the most accomplished parisian detectives had ignominiously failed his eagerness to hear more about drubard's efforts and failures in this particular case led him to the quai des grands augustins at an early hour in time to surprise the worthy felix in the act of breakfasting temperately upon cafe au lait and boiled eggs monsieur drubard gave his new friend a cheery welcome it was a lovely morning balmy as midsummer and the little garden on the leads was bright with gaily coloured asters nasturtiums and geraniums and agreeably perfumed with mignonette do you perceive the exquisite odours asked drubard your mignonette is delicious my mignonette cried the police officer scornfully why when the wind blows straight from the flower market as it does to-day i can sit in my garden and enjoy all the perfumes of the riviera i can revel in orange blossoms drink my fill of tube roses and stephanotis maréchal neil and jacqueline roses and look what a view not a touch of the sculptor's chisel that i cannot see yonder on the old kings of notre dame nor a cornice or a column in the new hospital that does not stand clear in the morning light and yet paris is peopled with fools who do not make gardens on their housetops perhaps every landlord would not be so complacent as yours monsieur drubard nor every housetop so adapted to horticulture true your parisian landlord is a churl and a niggard and a good many of our housetops are no doubt impracticable but the inventive mind the love of the beautiful is more often wanting i see you have been good enough to bring back my volume 
you have read the report i suppose every line every syllable three times over and you are interested deeply i was never more intensely interested in any case that has come within my knowledge yet as a lawyer i have become acquainted with many strange stories yes i am more interested than i can say in the fate of that unhappy actress in the character of her mysterious lover and yet i doubt if this former crime has any bearing upon the murder of leonie lamarque it would certainly be going somewhat far to suppose a link between the death of a girl travelling alone in cornwall a death which may after all have been accidental and the murder of her aunt ten years before in the forest of saint germain however it is only by the minutest scrutiny of leonie's past life that you can arrive at the motive which took her to england and discover whether she had an enemy in that country that is to say if she was lured across the channel in order to be made away with by that enemy a very wild and far-fetched supposition i think you will admit monsieur and one which our talented friend mr distin would not entertain for five minutes professional acumen like mr distin's is apt to run in grooves to be too intent upon following the practical and the possible to shut out the romantic element to strangle the imagination and to forget that it is very often by following the apparently impossible that we arrive at the truth i see you are an enthusiast monsieur i have never tried to subjugate my imagination as a lawyer i found ideality the most useful faculty of my brain now i have been thinking about leonie lamarque's fate from every possible point of view from the standpoint of imagination as well as from the standpoint of common sense and it has occurred to me that if the murderer of marie prevol were living he would be leonie's natural enemy why so because she was the only witness of his crime she alone would have the power to identify him as the murderer you forget that it is just that power which the poor girl lost during her illness the fever deprived her of memory that effect of the fever may not have been permanent the agitation which she showed at the mention of her aunt's name when sister goudule questioned her about the silk handkerchief given to her by marie prevol would indicate that memory was not a blank and again if she had forgotten the person of the murderer or even the fact of the murder he would not know that and would regard her existence as a source of danger to himself felix Strubard smiled the superior smile of experience reproving folly and you think that after having allowed this one witness of his crime to exist unmolested for ten years the assassin all at once took it into his head to murder her that with this view he carried her to your barbarous province of cornouailles and there flung her over an embankment i am tempted to paraphrase the scripture monsieur and to exclaim are there not viaducts and embankments in this vast france of ours that a man should go to the remote west of your little england in order to commit murder in that particular fashion heathcote felt that the police officer had the best of the argument i grant that it would have been a clumsy method of getting rid of the girl he said but murder has been clumsily done before to-day and imagination can conceive no crime so improbable as not to be paralleled by fact however it is perhaps too soon to speculate that the murderer of marie prevol was also the murderer of leonie lamarque what we have to do is to find out the reason of the girl's journey to england 
but before we set about that task i should like you to tell me what steps you took in your endeavour to trace the murderer after the examination before the juge d'instruction i looked over the case in my notebook last night as i was prepared for you to ask for those details replied Drubard. it was a case that interested me profoundly all the more so perhaps because i made so little headway in my investigations my first endeavour was to trace the murderer's proceedings immediately after the crime he must have made his escape from saint germain somehow unless he had killed himself in some obscure corner of the wood even then the finding of the body would have been a question of so many days weeks or months alive it would have been impossible for him to remain in hiding in the forest for a week as the wood was searched thoroughly during the three days immediately succeeding the murder on the third day a hat was found in a boggy bit of ground ever so far from the scene of the crime the hat was a gentleman's hat but it had been lying three days and nights in a bog it had been rained upon for two days out of the three there was no maker's name no indication by which the owner of the hat could be traced that it had been found so far off seemed to me to prove that the murderer had been roaming the wood in a wild and disordered frame of mind and walking at a tremendous pace or he could never have got over the distance between the time when he was seen by the waiter at the Henri quatre to turn the corner of the terrace and the period of the murder you believe then that the man seen by the waiter was actually the murderer i have no doubt of it that spasmodic walk that hesitancy the looking back and then hurrying on all these indicated a mind engaged upon some agitating theme the man was seen watching the window inside which marie preval and her admirer were seated he moved away when he saw himself observed he had disguised himself as much as he could by turning up the collar of his coat and who can doubt that this was the same man who had been seen by leonie in the railway station watching marie preval and her lover from behind the door of the waiting-room the dark spectacles were part of a disguise these are all details that point to one conclusion the finding of the hat induced me to visit every shop in st germain where a hat could be bought it was clear that the murderer could not have gone far from the forest bareheaded without attracting attention he must have procured a hat somehow and it was not long before i ascertained that a hat had been bought late on that very evening at a shop in an out-of-the-way corner of the town i was told that a boy a gamma had come in on the night of the murder and had asked for a cloth travelling cap he had chosen one with flaps to protect the ears a form of cap intending to give the utmost protection from cold he paid for his purchase with a napoleon and seemed in a great hurry to be gone not even stopping to count his change the shopkeeper had wondered at such a little ragamuffin being entrusted with a purchase of the kind the man had been on the point of closing his shop and therefore was quite positive as to the hour it was his invariable habit to put up his shutters at nine o'clock and the clock was striking as the boy came to the door of the shop breathless and heated as if he had been running for some distance and you conclude that this travelling cap was bought for the murderer hear the sequel and judge for yourself i went from the hatters to the railway station and there after having been banded about from pillar to post i succeeded in finding a tolerably intelligent official who remembered the night of the murder now ten days past 
and who could recall most of the passengers who had left for paris by the half-past nine o'clock train upon that particular night the news of the murder had not been brought to the station before the starting of the train a most criminal neglect on the part of the local police no suspicious-looking person had been observed to enter the train but upon my questioning him closely the man remembered having noticed a traveller who wore a cloth cap with flaps over the ears a seemingly needless protection upon a mild september evening there is one who takes care of himself the railway official had thought for the rest the passenger had looked like a gentleman tall erect well built a bigger man than the majority of frenchmen what the railway official permitted himself to call un bel homme had he appeared agitated breathless in a hurry no the official had noticed nothing extraordinary in his manner he wore smoke-coloured spectacles which concealed the expression of his eyes he had a return ticket for paris the train was scarcely out of the station when the police came to make inquiries the murder had been known of at the police station at a quarter past eight and it was not until half past nine that the police thought of setting a watch upon the railway station that is how your rustic police favour the escape of a criminal did you trace your gentleman in the cloth cap any further not an inch no one had observed him at saint lazare nor at any intermediate station where the train stopped i wearied myself during the next six weeks in the endeavour to trace the man called georges who must have had some local habitation in paris besides marie prévol's apartment in vain in no quarter of paris could i hear of any apartment occupied by a man answering to the description of this man who called himself georges rich independent handsome in the prime of life i could trace no such man among the prosperous classes of paris and my machinery for tracking any individual in the wilderness of this great city had hitherto proved almost infallible this man baffled me i touched on him now and again as you english say of your hunted fox but i could never get upon a scent strong enough to follow and in the end i gave up all hope of finding him he must have sneaked out of france under the very noses of the police for i had set a watch upon every probable exit from this country no doubt he was clever enough to choose the most improbable point of departure did you see much of madame lamarque after the murder no my interest in her ceased when i gave up the case as hopeless i had fresh cases new interests and the murder of marie prévol remained in my mind only as a tradition until you recalled the story of the crime i telegraphed yesterday to the principal of the ursuline convent at dinan said mr heathcote and i have obtained from her the address at which madame lamarque was living two years ago when her niece was sent back to paris in company with other pupils after leaving you i shall go to that address and try to find madame lamarque i may have the painful duty of informing her of her granddaughter's death and yet i can but think that were the grandmother still living she must have heard of the girl's death and would have communicated with the cornish police that is to suppose her more intelligent than the average frenchwoman said drubard as if he belonged to another nation suppose i accompany you in your search for madame lamarque that ought to be interesting i shall be delighted to secure your aid monsieur drubard and his guest descended the ladder 
the detective put on a gray overcoat which concealed and subjugated the airiness of his summer attire he put on the hat of sober commonplace existence and contrived to give himself an almost patriarchal aspect before he left his lodging the street in which madame lemarque had been living when the nuns of dinan last heard of her was a narrow and shabby little street between saint-sulpice and the luxembourg the house was decently kept and had a respectable air and was evidently not one of those caravanserais where lodgers come and go with every term it had a settled sober appearance and the brass plates on the door told of permanent residence with reputable avocations one of these plates informed society that mesdames lemarque and beauville robe et mode occupied the third floor the staircase was clean and quiet and the first sound that saluted mr heathcote's ears as he went upstairs was the screech of a parrot which became momentarily louder as the visitors approached the third floor on the door on the left of the landing appeared another brass plate mesdames lemarque et beauville robe mode chapeau heathcote rang the bell he felt curiously agitated at the thought that in the next minute he might be face to face with the dead girl's grandmother the door was opened by an elderly woman in black very sallow very thin with prominent cheekbones and hungry black eyes she was neatly clad her rusty silk gown fitting her fleshless form to perfection her linen collar and cuffs spotlessly clean her iron-gray hair carefully arranged but poverty was stamped upon every fold of her gown and written in every line upon her forehead madame lemarque inquired heathcote while the ci-devant police officer looked over his shoulder no i am not madame lemarque but i am her business representative any orders intended for madame lemarque can be executed by me i am mademoiselle beauville alas mademoiselle it is not a question of orders replied heathcote in his most courteous tones i have come on a painful errand i have to impart very sad news to madame lemarque Madame Beauville sighed and shrugged her thin shoulders. Madame Lamarque is taking her rest in a place where all the events of this earth are alike indifferent, she said. Take the trouble to enter my humble apartment, gentlemen. Madame Lamarque was my partner and my friend. Heathcote and his companion followed the dressmaker into her little salon, where a dilapidated old grey cockatoo was clambering upon a perch seemingly in danger of doing himself to death head downwards at every other minute the salon was like the appearance of mademoiselle beauville scrupulously neat painfully pinched and spare a poor little old-fashioned walnut table polished to desperation a cheap little china vase of common flowers a carpet which covered only a small island in an ocean of red tiles an old mahogany secretaire with materials for writing and by way of decoration the fashion place of le follet neatly pinned against the dingy wallpaper there was a work-basket on the table and mademoiselle beauville had apparently been busily remaking a very old gown of her own in order to keep her hand in during the dead season heathcote discovered later that mademoiselle beauville cherished one bitter and unappeasable hatred and that was against Messrs. Spricht, Van Klopen, and the whole confraternity of men milliners. Then Madame Lamarque is dead, I apprehend, Mademoiselle. Madame Lamarque died last June. 
suddenly no she had been ailing for some time but the end came more quickly than she expected my poor friend had but a short time in which to arrange her affairs was her granddaughter leonie living with her at the time of her death she was but what do you know about leonie the ex-detective laid his hand hastily upon heathcote's wrist before he could answer answer nothing until we have heard what she can tell us he whispered i know very little about her but i am anxious to know more and if you should be a loser by the waste of your time in answering my inquiries i shall be most happy to recompense you for that loss said heathcote the spinster's hungry eyes sparkled decent poverty has depths unknown to the professed pauper mademoiselle's larder would have exhibited a touching spectacle to the eye of the philosopher or physiologist the philosopher would have wondered that woman can endure privation with such patience the physiologist would have been surprised that humanity can sustain life upon so little for weeks past mademoiselle beauville's most luxurious idea of dinner had been an egg for the past week her daily ration had been two halfpenny rolls tell me all you can about your friend and her grandchild asked heathcote eagerly i am particularly interested in knowing everything but as it is dry work talking and as neither my friend nor i have lunched it might be a good idea to get a bottle of bordeaux and a few biscuits if mademoiselle will permit us to refresh ourselves in her apartment his keen glance had noted the hollow cheeks and glittering eyes of the dressmaker and he wanted an excuse for giving life and warmth to that impoverished form drubard caught at the idea thinking that his client's design was to loosen the lady's tongue by the agency of bacchus it was altogether an amateur's notion crude wanting in subtlety but the genial drubard was willing to indulge a beginner who was feeling his way in the elements of a great art i'll fetch a bottle of wine myself he said cheerily i know where i can get one close by and of the best bring two said heathcote mademoiselle will accept the second bottle by way of souvenir monsieur do you wish to make me a drunkard i have not tasted wine since my poor friend's death protested mademoiselle beauville but there was a look in her face which told heathcote that his gift would not be unwelcome drubard ran downstairs like a boy and was back in five minutes carrying a couple of sealed bottles labelled saint estephe and a large bag of biscuits mademoiselle had set out a tray in the meantime with her poor little stock of glasses three in all and one of those cracked and an old china plate for the biscuits again her eyes glistened when she saw the ample biscuit bag let me look at the name on the bag said heathcote strange it was the very name upon that biscuit bag which he carried at this moment neatly folded in his pocket-book the bag which had been found in the second-class compartment from which the girl fell and now mademoiselle tell me all you can about your deceased friend and her granddaughter you had known madame lamarque for some time i conclude i had lived with her for nearly ten years for nearly ten years then you must have joined your fortunes with hers very soon after the murder of her daughter marie prévol you have heard of that terrible event then monsieur asked the dressmaker it is so long since it happened that i thought it had been forgotten by all the world except me no mademoiselle a tragedy so terrible as that can never be forgotten by those who study the physiology of crime i am keenly interested in tracing the murderer of marie prévol 
after ten years exclaimed mademoiselle beauville with an incredulous smile only a dreamer could think of such a thing monsieur then i am such a dreamer mademoiselle and i hope you will help me to realize my dream does monsieur know that monsieur mardoche one of the most distinguished of our juges d'instruction took up this case with enthusiasm that the police were never more earnest than in their endeavor to find poor marie prévol's murderer does monsieur know that it was a double murder and that the baron de maucroix a young man of high family and large fortune was also a victim does monsieur suppose that the baron's friends were idle that no inducement was offered to the police i am aware of all this mademoiselle and i know that the cleverest police in the world except russia we must always bow to the superior genius of the north interjected drubard i am aware that the police failed but you must consider mademoiselle that when the police of paris were keenest in their pursuit of the assassin the assassin was most upon his guard the consciousness of his crime the horror of his position intensified his intelligence he had but one thought to escape detection every act every movement every word was planned with that purpose but now ten years have gone by ten years of security the murderer may be less guarded more open to detection he will have grown careless foolhardy even believing that after such an interval detection must be impossible if mademoiselle will do me the honor to touch glasses we will discuss this question at our leisure he had filled the three glasses but he had perceived that the dressmaker had a delicacy in drinking the wine he had provided so he took up his glass and offered the edge of it to hers and emboldened by this friendly movement the spinster clinked her glass against the rim of his then against that of the patriarchal drubard while the cockatoo wondering at this unwanted revelry screeched his loudest to your good health gentlemen faltered the dressmaker before she sipped her wine to the speedy discovery of marie prévol's murderer said heathcote did you know our poor marie monsieur that you are thus interested in her dark fate no mademoiselle oh if you had but known her i should understand your desire to avenge her death she was so lovely to know her was to adore her even a soured old maid such as i could but yield to her charm she was as loving as she was lovable a clinging disposition a poetical nature her life was not blameless perhaps who knows we will not scrutinize too closely she was as different from those harpies whom one hears of in paris as a wild rose in the hedge is different from a jewel that has gone the round of every mont de piete in the city her heart was pure as the heart of a child she had no ambition but to love and be loved the man who absorbed her life for a long time whose hand perhaps slew her was rich lavish he would have loaded her with gifts if she had let him he would have taken her off the stage and allowed her to play the fine lady but to the last she preserved the same modest ideas generous to others careless of herself did you ever see the man who called himself georges never he was a man of curious habits he loved the night better than the day nothing delighted him more than a moonlight drive in the bois after midnight a supper at the cascade he patronized the restaurants that keep open half the night marie and he used to sup together at the cafe de paris 
sometimes with one or two chosen friends but much more often alone i was not madame lemarque's partner at that time but i occupied a room in the roof of this house and i used to work by the day for madame and for marie i have spent many days working for her in the rue de lafitte i made all her gowns and i was proud that she should challenge comparison with actresses who squandered their thousands upon such impostors as Spricht and van Klopen. imagine monsieur a man a stern rugged nature which can have no true feeling for the beauty of woman's dress a being of angles and hard lines a creature without grace or flu no wonder that square shoulders and pointed elbows have come into fashion since men have dictated the dress of women mademoiselle had mounted her hobby and was riding furiously doubtless it is a mistake in art and one that must be discovered before long said heathcote soothingly but tell me mademoiselle in all your visits to the rue de lafitte did you never encounter georges never strange and did your friend mademoiselle prévol talk much of this monsieur georges yes she used to talk to me a great deal about him at one time poor child I think she talked even more freely to me than to her mother Madame Lamarck was just a little too fond of money too eager for gifts from her child and that wounded Marie's generous nature You value people only for what they can give you she said once to her mother if Georges were Satan You would like him just as well provided you got enough of his money And then there was a quarrel as you may suppose monsieur There were excuses to be made for Madame Lamarck poor soul she had been rich once an atelier in the rue de la paix a country house at asnières but these man milliners had spoiled her trade and at this time she was very poor living in these rooms which you see and working for half a dozen shabby customers who ground her to the dust by their meanness and then when marie gave her money she spent it recklessly she ate and drank like a princess she took a voiture de place whenever she went out she thought that marie could never do too much for her or her son's orphan child leonie leonie lived with her grandmother did she not yes madame lemarque had kept her since she was three years old it was a dull life for a child she used to sit on a little stool in that corner and thread needles for her grandmother when she was eight years old she could work very neatly she ran errands too she earned her daily bread poor child but her happiest days were those she spent with her aunt in the rue lafitte mademoiselle prévol was good to her good to her yes and to everyone who came in her way i tell you she was a creature made up of sweetness and love and she was devoted to this monsieur georges at one time yes it was an adoration on both sides marie used to tell me of their journeys in foreign countries under a southern sky of their happy life far away from the crowd of his boundless love for her his generosity his devotion she had a fever in venice and he nursed her and watched beside her bed day and night thirteen days and thirteen nights till she was out of danger it was a love such as one reads of in poetry have you any reason to think that she was his lawful wife i cannot tell his constancy and devotion were those of the best of husbands she wore a wedding ring and she was always called by his name when they traveled as well as in her lodgings 
it was almost at the beginning of their attachment that he took her to england i have sometimes thought that they were married in england did he introduce her to his friends in paris only a few artists and writers whom she used to meet at supper they were some of the wildest young men in paris but he introduced her to no ladies to no families of good standing i doubt if he could have had any such friends he lived too eccentric a life to cultivate what you call respectable acquaintance was he himself an artist i think not he was too rich for a painter or an author and you have never heard of him since marie prévol's death never what became of the jewels and other property which had belonged to mademoiselle prévol they were sold by her mother who lived upon the proceeds of the sale for some years she paid for leonie's schooling out of the same fund it was only in the last years of her life that she again became poor but to the very last she had means of her own a small income the source of which was unknown to me she might have lived very comfortably if she had not been extravagant but she had no prudence and there were times when she was almost penniless she took me into partnership very soon after her daughter's death she had sent the little girl to a convent and she felt very lonely and nervous in these rooms her spirits never recovered from the shock of that terrible murder the horror of the night in which leonie was brought home to her by the police from saint-germain who told her the history of the murder she invited me to share her apartment and to work for her taking half the profits of the business the profits were of the smallest but she gave me my board and lodging and i was too fond of madame lamarque and of jacko added the spinster looking fondly at the cockatoo that is madame lamarque's parrot i conclude yes he belonged to poor marie ah he could tell us a great deal if he would but talk sense instead of repeating foolish songs she bought him from a sailor at marseilles and brought him home with her after one of her autumn holidays she used to teach him lines from the songs she sang at the theatre moi je suis le radis noir shrieked the parrot you were living with madame lamarque when her granddaughter returned from dinan i suppose said heathcote ah you seem to know all about it yes i was with madame when she went to saint lazare to meet the child such a bright pretty girl she had grown so amiable and clever and industrious i never thought she would act towards me as she has done in what way has she acted badly she went to england directly after her grandmother's death that is more than two months ago and she has not written to me once since then no doubt she has found powerful friends rich friends and has no need of a poor old woman like me there may be some other reason for her silence said heathcote gravely what other reason some misfortune an accident perhaps she had to travel by steamer and by railway might not something have happened i have thought of that sometimes said the dressmaker with a distressed look and if i had had a friend in england one single friend i should have written to ask that friend to make inquiries but i have so few friends hardly anyone in paris no one outside paris she concluded dejectedly but surely you knew leonie's errand you knew to whom she was going you might have written to that person i know nothing the girl's errand was a secret from me on her deathbed madame lamarque gave her granddaughter some commission 
there were letters or papers of some kind i think which she was to take to somebody in england and that person was expected to befriend her the grandmother was very secret about it she would not speak to leonie on the subject while i was in the room but on re-entering rather suddenly i saw some papers on the bed i overheard a few words something about a friend of monsieur georges rich powerful and it was to this friend of georges the murderer that leonie was to appeal for protection and help remember we are not certain that georges was the murderer it is only a supposition but a supposition so well grounded as to be almost certainty an adoring lover who disappears immediately after the murder of his mistress a lover who had good grounds for jealousy and is known to have been madly jealous mark you a murder that could only have been inspired by madness or by jealousy if these facts are not strong enough to condemn monsieur georges what does circumstantial evidence mean don't talk to me about it muttered drubard impatiently georges was the murderer the police were at fault in their search for him but they were never in doubt as to his guilt and it was to a friend of her daughter's murderer that madame lemarque sent her granddaughter what other resources had she do you think exclaimed the dressmaker she was dying penniless friendless leaving her grandchild to the mercy of strangers she knew that monsieur georges was a rich man and that any friend of monsieur georges was likely to be well off i dare say she knew no more than the name of this friend did you hear the name never i heard her tell leonie that the gentleman was in london he was living at some hotel the name of which i forget would you recognize it if you heard it asked heathcote perhaps i am not sure he went over the names of the principal hotels without success mademoiselle beauville could not remember to have heard any one of them you are sure that mademoiselle lemarque was to go to london inquired heathcote and no further than london you heard no mention of cornwall or plymouth he repeated the names of county and town giving each the true gallic intonation but they suggested nothing to mademoiselle beauville she was to go to london nowhere else but why do you ask i will tell you that presently did leonie lemarque leave paris immediately after her grandmother's death she left the evening after the funeral she did not even wait to get a morning gown made she had worn a black gown belonging to me at the funeral and she changed it for her gray alpaca gown before she left did she take no luggage only a change of linen in a handbag how did she travel she went from the station du nord at eight o'clock i walked to the station with her poor child we were both very sad and very tired she was to cross from calais to dover in the night and she would arrive in london early next morning she promised me to write on the day of her arrival i told her that i thought it was a dangerous thing for a young girl to go alone to meet a stranger a man whose face she had never seen she said her grandmother had told her that he was a good and honorable man who had befriended her in her poverty and she leonie was to trust him she begged me not to ask her any questions her grandmother had warned her to say nothing until after she had arrived in england when she was to write to tell me and tell me of her new home when i pressed her to give me her confidence she began to cry but i managed to find out that she was going to london with the idea of being placed in some rich and aristocratic family where she would be a companion to the children 
and teach them her own language she was not accomplished enough to be a governess of a superior kind how did she get the money for her journey her grandmother gave it her on her deathbed but as there had been hardly any money in the house for the last week of madame lemarque's illness i concluded that this money had been sent from the person in england in reply to an application from madame lemarque did you post any letter addressed to england during your friend's illness i did not but leonie may have done so she went out every day upon some errand or other and now monsieur pray tell me how you came to know all about leonie and if you have any bad news for me alas mademoiselle i have the worst possible news your young friend is dead dead and there was no one to tell me the gentleman who was to befriend her to whom she went as to a protector and benefactor he did not even take the trouble to tell me her fate she may never have found him poor child she may have been lured away from her destination and from london by a villain she met her death more than two hundred miles from london she fell from a railway bridge and was killed instantly but whether that death was an accident or a murder no one yet knows except the great judge of all human actions you believe it was <gasps> murder i am here to discover the motive of that crime End of chapter 1